My name is Tyler Fornis, and I am one of the co-hosts of the Good, the Bad, and the Hungi AEW podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcasting Network. We take a broad scope approach to the world of all elite wrestling and the entire universe of Tony Khan. We talk about the big matches, the big stars, the promos, the storylines. And we also look at it from a big picture perspective. How are things going to change over the course of the next 10 years with AEW still in the picture? How are companies like WWE going to adapt and adjust to AEW? Are they going to be a similar way like they did with WCW in the late 1990s? Will there be a counterpunch? We talk about all of that and more on the good, the bad, and the hungry every week on the Voices of Wrestling Network. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungi. I'm your host, Tyler Fornis. With me is my co-host, Fred Moreland. And we had just had an appearance from The Hungi Cat. We are ready to rock and roll. And my puppy just found his squeaker toy, so we should be in for a good time. How are you Hell doing? yeah. Chaos on the audio. June Akiyama! June Akiyama! June Akiyama! It's happening. Oh, thank God. Listen, there are some things in wrestling that just that just make your heart smile and Eddie Kingston wanting for the his dream entire comes life crew for his entire life, wanting to wrestle June Akiyama. And he talked about it. He, he relates really, really well to June Akiyama. Cause he was always the fifth guy with the four pillars and he was always having to fight from underneath and Kingston feeling the same way, having to always fight from underneath to try and, get somewhere to improve to be able to show his ability like i i think it's a really cool dichotomy and tony khan just pulling this out of his ass look wrestling is great and we are getting a lot of really fun stuff from AEW, and hopefully this ends in a singles match because how great like what at all out you had kingston and ishii just beating the living shit out of each other for for 10 minutes Give me yeah. that at Junakiyama, even if it's on the pre-show. I don't care. That would be fun as hell, and everybody would enjoy it. And Kingston's really good at those kind of matches, like just with his charisma and everything, I feel like. And uh, it works super well for him. I went five stars in that Ishii match, and I don't regret it at all. Um, so, yeah, him if he could get a singles match against Akiyama out of this, that would be amazing for him. So I don't see any way we can be happy for him if that were to happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's just really cool to see one unique matches and two, you get to see people's dreams come true in the process. Like, yeah, life it's is just, just a, cool. It's just a really cool thing. Like, it's go, like going back to the Jericho anniversary match where like he did a tag team match against Luther, and like Deathmatch Legend Luther is uh not exactly sprightly anymore. <laughs> uh, but you know. It's just cool that they were they were like, look, it's your anniversary. It's a big deal for Jericho. Let's make let's give him a match against his friend. Like that was just cool to see, uh, even if it really wasn't that good. Uh, but I think Akiyama Kingston will be much better than 
that match. If we yeah, were to it, be so fortunate. Look, there is a non-zero chance Eddie Kingston and Jun Akiyama could do like a four and a half, four and three quarters. Oh, yeah. Match. I mean, Akiyama can still go. Uh, so, and Kingston, I think, is, you know, he, he, he's he got his style and he's really good at that style. So, mm-hmm. and Akiyama I, would fit right into that. Outside of multi-man matches. So, because I have the, uh, I rated Anarchy in the Arena five stars. Like, yeah. outside of those matches, I think Eddie Kingston already has two four and three quarter matches since since he joined AEW for me. Like, he he delivers for what I like in my wrestling. Like, I like a wide variety. Like, people make fun of, like, WWE for, like, the variety show aspect. Look, if you do it well, having a variety of content on your wrestling program is a great thing because it can it it can hit all kinds of things and you don't get really sick of watching like a specific style. Yeah. And I think what's really cool about AEW is they have a lot of those different styles. And even with Kingston, it's, you're not getting the same style match, even though he, he loves doing the Kings road stuff. He loves just doing shot battles, but there's, he has elements to him that he can go and do different things. And I really appreciate that. And yeah, look, <laughs> this and that's not even really talking good. about his out of ring too. I mean, like he's he's. If it wasn't for MJF and the fact that Kingston's kind of disappeared for the last three or four months, I think you could make the argument that he's the best promo of the year. Um, but you know the time off really didn't help him with that. But he is just a, amazing at generating emotion. Um, he feels really unique, especially in 2022, because this is the kind of thing we had the monolith of WWE and U.S. wrestling for basically this entire century. And uh, Kingston feels completely different from that. You know, you you would never have seen Eddie Kingston be Eddie Kingston over there. And that's just another great part of AEW, I think. No, 100%. And what's really going to be fun about AEW is this weekend, Fred, we have AEW full gear. And the card isn't 100% finalized as of this recording, which is fine because it's always nice to get just that little bit of extra juice as you go into the weekend. And I think one of the things that we could see is that uh, a potential Junior Akiyama, Eddie Kingston singles match, because if he's over here, obviously we, we knew Takeshita was returning. So that that's a nice little addition to That's to very that. exciting. Oh yeah. And, but you, you could see something between both of those guys and that might be able to sell a few pay-per-view buys, especially to dorks like us. Because, l- listen, if I was on the fence and you gave me Kingston and Akiyama, that might be the thing to put it over the top. But, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm very intrigued to see what this dynamite is because over the course of AEW, you've seen at the beginning of the the product they really didn't focus on doing a huge go home show, thinking, okay, we don't want to like give away a bunch of stuff, and yeah. it wasn't. It, it was built differently than a lot of go home shows for other companies. But recently they've had very hot go home shows uh, leading into these pay-per-views. So I'm, I'm curious now that Tony Khan has a sample size of both philosophies, how he continues to take this. Yeah. I'm looking something up right now. Would you, do you happen to recall? Well, this is the go home dynamite for uh, the first pay-per-view of the actual like real AEW era, not counting those the the full gear twenty nineteen. So that would have uh, been the Moxley and um, Omega uh, lights out match. Yes, that is correct. Uh, so this is just the card. I don't have any angles or anything off it, but uh, you open with Pac versus Trent. 
Uh, then you had the Dark Order against Private Party in the Bronze Medal AEW World Tag Team Title Tournament, uh, which I completely forgot it was a thing they did. Emmy Sakura and Jamie Hayter against Riho and Shauna. Uh, oh, yeah, I forgot about Shauna. That was to set up or to build towards the Sakura versus Riho women's match on the pay-per-view. Brandon Cutler against Sean Spears uh, to give, I assume, Spears a win heading into his pay-per-view match with Joey Janela. Uh, these are some guys we're remembering here. And uh, and then the main event was Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara defeating Adam Page and Kenny Omega. This, this company is going to be so fascinating to look back on on its 10-year anniversary and oh, where yeah. it was and some of the people that they were pushing because of how new the company was and just trying to understand what darts were going to hit and what were, which ones were going to miss like Sean Spears versus Joey Janela as a legit pay-per-view match. Oh, yeah. It reminds me of like SmackDown 2005 when they were still doing the split brand pay-per-views and you just had these, this random mid card match focused on a pay-per-view. It's just, it just feels so goofy and it's going to be fascinating to, to, when we start doing like revisionist stuff with this company. Yeah, and this was also uh, a, a one-match buy-in, which had uh, B. Priestley against Britt Baker. Uh, that should have been a main card match, but I'll tell you, I, I bet that helps sell a few pay-per-views because those those two women can go. I mean, Baker was still... They did not that night. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, the, the Meltzer rating was one and three-quarter stars. Oh, so. never mind. Um on paper, yeah. that sounds like a good match. It though. sounds like it should be good, yeah. But it was the cage match is a four point nine two. Apparently, it was pretty sloppy. What I'm reading here, uh, yeah. Well, as I was saying, Baker was pretty green, so like I guess yeah. that shouldn't be too much of a surprise. Yeah, I'm not surprised a Baker 2019 match was not really on the on the good side of things. So, yeah. anyways, I would like to play a game with you, Tyler. Uh oh. As we get into this full gear. Uh, what I would like to do is a game I have created that is uh, completely original and no one could ever have come up with such a brilliant idea. It's called the Heat Check. All right. So what I, what we're going to do is we're going to go through this uh, pay-per-view card. And I want you to give a 1 to 10 rating, with 10 being the best and 1 being the worst, of how you are feeling about these matches with the build so far and your anticipation to watching it. And All right. Talk about that a little bit. Uh, so first things first, we're going to do the, uh, we'll talk about the world championship eliminator tournament because it's kind of in a weird spot right now with Starks and Archer being delayed, like pushed off of last rampage, mm-hmm. uh, because that's, that's still the remaining first round matchup and they still have to do the semis and build to the finals for mm-hmm. the pay-per-view. I assume that we're going to get, it's not announced for Wednesday, but I assume we're going to get Starks and Archer on Wednesday night and then do the semis on rampage. Uh, but how are you feeling about the World Championship title eliminator tournament? Probably about a six. Okay. Like, I, I I think it's going to end up being Ethan Page versus Ricky Starks. That, that seems likely, yeah. It does seem likely. Um, I would love for it to be Bandito, but I really don't think it's going to be because they desperately need heels in this company. It's something you and I have talked about here in this space. Ethan Page feels like a guy that they're going to try and give a push. Whether it works or not is going to be a completely different story, but he has everything that you want. He's just bland as a paper bag once he actually starts to apply it. And that's, 
inherently frustrating when you have have the tools, but they just don't know how to use it. And, you know, being so involved in the football space, you get used to seeing that. Guys who just have everything and cannot, for whatever reason, put it together. And I feel like yeah. that's Ethan Page, unless he's wrestling Darby. Darby Darby's just the one opponent where it just always works. And, yeah. you know, good on him. He's he's able to kind of make that work and figure it out. And I think it's it's really cool for him. Um, but like that's kind of where I'm at. I'm I'm at like a I'm at like a six. Um, I think my dog is actually eating a plastic bag, so I'm gonna grab that from him quick. Why don't you? Why don't you? Talk I'll vamp. I'll vamp about this uh, <laughs> World Championship Eliminator Tournament. Uh, I I think the six is about right. Uh, I can't really disagree with it because I do think it's gonna be end up being Ricky Starks and Ethan Page. And you know, I love Ricky Starks, and the thing I fear is that it's gonna be Ethan Page going over. Uh, Ethan Page is just extremely fine. He uh, doesn't do anything like aggressively bad, but his pushes so far have been really disappointing. The men of the year was two people that I see the tools with him and it just didn't connect in a big way with him and Scorpio Sky. Um, Ethan, I think is I think this is going better for Ethan Page as uh, Tyler comes back from rescuing his dog with a paper bag or a plastic bag, depending on your opinions. Um, I was talking about how uh, I, I think this has been going better for Ethan Page compared with the Men of the Year push uh, as part of the firm. But I still like it's not like he's setting the world on fire. And I, I'm concerned that it's just not going to work and it's going to be another flop. You know what? Even if it is another flop, building him up for a title challenge, I don't think is a necessarily bad thing. It's good to build guys up for title challenges because yeah. it'll tell you a few things. One, most of these title challengers lose mm-hmm. when they win tournaments like this. They don't go on to win the title. It gives you an opportunity to build them up, see their credibility, and how do they react when they're put in that big spot? Hey, maybe Ethan Page goes out has a four-star match on the pay-per-view and has a four-and-a-half-star match with either MJF or John Moxley. Yeah, that'd hey, be great to see. Absolutely, and then guess what? You have something. And you know what? If it bombs, eh, we gave it a shot. We had a TV title match. It drew a few extra fans. Who loses in that situation? Yeah, I think that's completely fair. Yeah, and I don't know if the Ethan Page thing's going to work. It probably won't. But I think it's worth a try considering... He does have all the tools in the toolbox, and we know Tony Khan loves him. Yeah. Like, are we annoyed by him? Yeah. I wouldn't go as far as annoyed, but I just think there's people on the death chart that should be above him is all. Yeah, and I think one of those guys is Bandito, and that's why I'm not ruling out Bandito winning this week and going to the final because they just signed him. They finally gave Bandito the graphic on Rampage, yeah. which that match with, with Roosh was fun. Uh, yeah, we, it was we'll pretty pro- good. Yeah. Um, they obviously really like Bandito and maybe Bandito's a guy that they can turn heel and they, they can have him go on a run as, as a, as a, like a top line heel, because maybe. I think he has the talent. I, maybe it's a little too early for that. I don't think it, I, it doesn't feel like the right time for him to go heel. He feels like way too much of a, of a good baby face to mm-hmm. uh, instantly turn in my opinion. And, and that, that is a blessing and a curse for this company because having a lot of baby faces is not always the easiest thing to accomplish, especially yeah. ones that are as over as they are in AEW. But because, because of the 
the surplus of baby faces and guys like Adam Cole being out, you just turn the elite back. And when they come back, they're going to be over as absolute hell. Yeah. And I wouldn't be shocked if we see them tomorrow. But when you factor all those things in, Fred, you just don't have a lot of heels, and that can be a massive issue. Because, like, Moxley, like, quote-unquote, saved the company after the whole CM Punk debacle. Like, obviously, that's maybe a little bit of hyperbole, but he got the belt. And you can talk about maybe Brian Danielson turning, but that might be too soon with how the Blackpool Combat Club stuff is shaping up. Like, there are so many little nuances, and I'm I'm very excited to see how this Ethan Page thing goes. Yeah, it'll be very interesting, if nothing else. Uh, next up is the Jack Jungle Boy Jack Perry versus Luchasaurus Steel Cage match. How are you feeling about that one? L- listen, this might be a little bit of a hot take, but I'm at a 10. I think that this build, this build has been really good. It's... So it's it's been weird, and obviously the whole Christian thing set this thing back quite a bit because I think that this was supposed to be Christian Cage in this spot. And I I think Christian was probably supposed to win the all-out match, and then they were going to culminate it here. But they obviously weren't able to do that with his surgery, and he's not going to be back for probably four to six more months. So you're doing the Luchasaurus thing. I think it's been done really well. The beat-up at all-out was excellent. And then when... Uh, Jungle Boy came in and took out Luchasaurus um, during the All-Atlantic title match, the three-way. He did so in a very similar way in the same spot. And I think the the connective tissue has been there. Christian's still been tremendous on promos. Look, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus can probably do some cool shit in a cage, especially Jungle Boy. I'm really excited to see it. Not everything has been flawless with this build, but... How can you not want to see these two go in a match? Because Luchasaurus can just throw them around like a stuffed doll. And Jungle Boy can do some aerial stuff. Like, this is going to be fun. Yeah, yeah. I I am excited for it. I would not go with 10 for it. But uh, I'm excited for it. I think it could be uh, a really good match. I'm going to go with a... uh, Let's go with an 8, personally. I think this is a big test for Luchasaurus because I think this could help determine if he actually has legs beyond kind of mid-card enforcer slash uh, monster, or if he can be a little more than that. But I think that, uh, you know, this will play to Jack Perry's strengths uh, because he's always been more of an in-ring performer than a promo guy. Uh, and so I think uh, I think this will be a very fun match. So, Yeah, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see because we haven't really seen these guys wrestle against each other yet. And I'm wondering how their chemistry is going because their chemistry works really well as a team. That yes. doesn't mean it's going to work really well as opponents. Oh, but, yes. but you have like the sturdy base in Luchasaurus, and you and you have like Jungle Boy's not a traditional flippy do guy, but he does some really nice lucha stuff, and he can do some of the like the high flying like aerial moves. And having the, that dichotomy with a cage is going to be really really fun. And I'm probably overrating it, but I'm also the eternal optimist. So I, I'm just really excited to see how these two will clash. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to the match for sure. Uh, next up on our list is uh, Darby Allen and Sting against Jay Lethal and Double J, J-E, <laughs> Double F, J-A, Double R, E, Double T. Don't piss me off, Slapnuts, Jeff Jarrett. The last outlaw, the guy who is entirely too jacked for his age, Jeff Jarrett. 
coming out to my world. Oh, hell yeah. I love hearing my world. Um, look, it, Jarrett and Lethal did such a good job in the build to that Ric Flair's last match. Even if the last match itself was kind of an atrocity with how Flair was just unable to move. But <laughs> yeah, they were so good in that. And I've been pretty happy with Lethal. I think that they need to continue to evolve this stuff with Sanjay and Satnam Singh because it's really starting to feel like TNA 2007. And that could end up being a good thing, but I want to see where that goes. I'm probably at a seven with this match because I'm intrigued to see the inclusion of Jeff Jarrett with Sting. Do they actually split up Sting and Darby Allen? Is this the catalyst of it? Like, obviously that they weren't going to be together forever, but it works. It's cool as hell to see Sting still work like every three months. Because he can still go. And I think that this could be really, really fun. Even if it's not traditionally good, I think they could still pull off a four-star match. And I don't think anybody would be too surprised. Yeah, I I am very... It's intriguing. Uh, I think Jarek can still, you know, do the Memphis-style walk-and-brawl kind of deal, which will work well with staying in his limitations at his age. Uh, Darby's there to fly around and Jay Lethal is just a very solid hand at this point in his career. I think that um, the thing that is interesting to me with this is that we haven't heard much from Sting on the build. And I feel like that there should have there should be a Sting promo about Jarrett and how Jarrett was a total jerk in TNA and how he's taking care of him. Sting's taking care of him before and he'll do it again kind of deal. Something along those lines, you know, maybe in a pre-tape with Darby, you know, doing something that would kill me. Uh, I, I, I'm at a, I'm at a six for this one. I like the first Jarrett promo, even though it was very "What the hell just happened?" Uh, wasn't as big on last week's. So it felt like a very generic Jarrett uh, slap nuts promo deal. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting idea, if nothing else. So. It, it it adds a little bit of flavor to a mid card that's honestly been a little stale, and I I think it could be a lot of fun. And at the very be. least, it's gonna it, it could just end up being a shit show. And yes. <laughs> that is on the table. Yeah, like we're kind of on the same page here. Like this could be good, and at the very least, it's intriguing to see how it's going to develop. Yeah, it might be bad, but it won't be boring. I don't think. Yes, especially with Jared and the guitars. Look, I would love to see one of two things. Either Sting no-sells a guitar shot. Yes. Or Sting pulls out his baseball bat and destroys the guitar in midair. Yes. Like mid-swing. Also, yes. Like, to me, that, like, I'll I'll never forget when Sting won the belt. I think it was at Bound for Glory 2005 with uh, when he no-sold the guitar shot and took out Jared to save his career. Like, Give me that again. Yeah. That'd be fun. Something along those, those lines would be great, I think. Um, yeah. Next up is Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, against Soraya, the uh, returning from injury after practically, what was it, seven years off? Mm-hmm. Uh, five years, I think, actually, because she had a short comeback. Uh, formerly known as Paige. Uh, I think this got off to a really rough start, but... Where are you at with where are you at with this right now, Tyler? As I try to say words, 
I'm I'm gonna rank this on an intriguing level because I, I, as excitement, I'm probably at about a six, but I'm at a nine for how intrigued I am with this match because there are so many unanswered questions. The Soraya stuff started out very poorly because you you can obviously tell she's still WWE pilled, and yes. there are positives to that, but the negatives just stand out. It's Almost like what we were worried about when Alistair Black came into the promotion. Like, obviously, he likes to do this spooky stuff and have this lore, which can be really good, but it's been harnessed. And Tony Khan has filtered out the bad. And honestly, for as much crap as the House of Black gets, I think it's been fine. There's been nothing egregious about it. They're not doing any of the Bray Wyatt spooky stuff. It's If you don't like it, fine. Like The in-ring's really good. And if you like it, it makes things even better. And I think that's one of the things this companies have done very well. You think, like, with this Soraya stuff, her promo last week on Dynamite was both tremendous and god-awful all at the same time. Because some yeah. of the things she said were just atrocious. Her delivery and raw emotion it made it, like, feel like one of the better... Pro- if you didn't actually listen to the words, Fred, it was one of the best promos of the year. Just because of... of if you could feel everything that she was saying, you, you, it, it hit a certain nerve like in my soul when I was listening to it. And that's the heart of a great promo. It's just too bad the words sucked. Because it was I, I, awesome. I don't I didn't hate all of the words she said, but she said enough that I felt like it was really really or the wrong place, wrong time. She kinda yeah. buried the entire roster again. Um and like AW's women's roster this year has not been fantastic. There's been some extenuating circumstances to that. Yeah. But I, it's not bad. I've seen bad women's rosters before. This oh, isn't yeah. a bad roster. Um, you can question the booking at points, but yeah. Uh, so her coming out there and like kind of burying AW is like the complete opposite of what you would want a baby face to do in that circumstance. Now, let me ask you this before you get going, Fred. Do they intentionally want this to be Shades of Grey? Because it felt like even with Britt's promo that it was Shades of Grey from her side too. To some extent, yes, but I think they went too far in it because there's a, there's a way you can do this and make it. Do I cheer for the hometown hero or do I cheer for the uh, the the? Well, I don't want to say legend, but the re, you know coming back from injury after a long period off uh, kind of baby face. I think there's a way you can do that, but I think they went about it the wrong way at certain points in that promo in particular, uh, where she was outright just like, I'm a superstar, you aren't a star kind of stuff was like, all right, listen, we're, you know, you want to build up, not build down when you're going to face someone. It's kind of my take on it, but. Yeah. um, One other thing that I'm really intrigued about, can Soraya still go? Because she was a very capable wrestler in, in WWE, I would not call her great. I don't think she was on the level of some of her female counterparts of the era in WWE, especially when you're talking about the Becky Lynch's who, uh, who Dave Meltzer just made a case for her to be a wrestling observer, hall of famer, Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, Bailey. I don't think she's on the work rate level of those, those women, but she can work. And yeah, she can. this, she's been I, doing this for upwards of 20 years of her life. And Britt Baker has improved as a worker. But if pay if Soraya, excuse me, it doesn't do a fantastic job. Are we talking about like Britt Baker having to carry this match? And considering her worker work rate is spotty, how is she gonna be able to do that? Like 
there are so many intriguing things about how this match can work, how this match could go as far as a quality standpoint, the winner. Like, that's why my intrigue for this is so high because I want to see all these questions get answered because we really don't know what this is going to look like. Yeah, and I, I do think there is a possibility this will end up being a disaster in the ring. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I wouldn't say it's like the odds on favorite. I wouldn't be like, you know, uh, placing the odds that it would happen. But there's a good chance that they could screw this up uh, in the ring, uh, that they could just get off the wrong page. Britt's kind of sloppy sometimes. Uh, and Paige, I, you know, I, I don't remember her as a... I, I remember her as a, as a solid but not great worker. Uh, so it'll be interesting to watch for sure. Uh, but this could be a disaster. It could be. Uh, it could be pretty good. Uh, just depends on how they kind of structure it. Yeah, it's it's going to be fascinating because if she can work, and she can work well, this is going to be a massive influx to the women's division, especially to an era of WWE fans that may still have that connection to her. Because I believe on Twitch she has something like two hundred plus thousand followers. Like, yeah, she has a very dedicated dedicated following. Look, I'm not going to say they're all going to translate, but let's say 10% come over and start trying to watch AEW and stick around. You're talking an extra 20,000 viewers a week. That makes a difference because that might mean an extra 2,000 pay-per-view buys. Like This company has consistently been doing between 10 and 25% of their TV viewers for pay-per-view buys. Very good numbers. Like, yeah. I want to see where this is going to go as far as her maybe she can draw some more fans maybe some of these women's segments that have been consistently the lowest quarter hours on AEW television spike up and we see an influx like this maybe this means we like the a success with her coming in as a pure wwe girl could be the genesis of hey they're utilizing her right they're letting her do her thing maybe that means sasha could come over Obviously, that is putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. But it's, I, I, it's I not think, a nothing. I still think that if they can pull off Sasha to AEW, that will possibly be the biggest free agency signing they've had since the launch of the company. Uh, the only thing I would put up there is Moxley. And that's kind of like right when the company was launching. So mm-hmm. I, I think that has the potential to be bigger than Cole, bigger than Danielson, bigger than... Uh, well, okay, I can't say bigger than CM Punk. That would be incorrect. That was a, but the second biggest free agency yeah. signing uh, in the history of AEW would be Sasha Banks. Listen, we know Sasha Banks because we we we've seen the data. Sasha yeah. Banks is the biggest needle mover for WWE ratings. Yes, there's a yeah, reason why they continuously tried to utilize her in big spots, even though they booked her like absolute shit. She had big roles on television. She had the good quarter hours. I'm not going to say it would be bigger than CM Punk, but I don't think it's fair to necessarily dismiss that she could end up being a bigger signing than CM Punk, even though you're going to get all the flash with Punk. She's going to move ratings. And if they book her incredibly well, now obviously we're talking a hypothetical situation here because we still don't know what her situation is. She may have already re-signed with WWE and it's just like, eh, I want some time off. I want to go do my own thing, make $3,000 a signing. I don't want, I don't want Vince booking me. Yeah. Um, Which like, is a very, very reasonable t- uh, take to have. Very. Um, like, There's so many nuances here, Fred, that she could end up being a bigger signing than CM Punk long-term. Like, 
I don't think that's an insane take, but we're, we're getting off the rails, but I think that's one of the reasons what makes this show fun and number 45 yeah. in the UK, as far as wrestling <laughs> podcast. And we're only on episode 10, baby. That's right. We're going to get up to 44 at some point. I have my goals. My goal is to be number one on Isle of Man and be able to usurp you know, the the flagship. That That is the goal of this show. i got to steal the heart of the Isle of the Man, man. Um, okay, next one is Nyla Rose versus Jade Cargill. Uh, two. One to ten. You two. got two on this. I, I, I think that's generous. I really have no desire. Like, when Nyla Rose started with this company, I had never seen her because I am... I am not a uh, a diehard follower of independent wrestling. I'll pop in for a few matches here and there, but a lot of times with my football stuff, wrestling can take a backseat. So I don't I don't get to branch out as much as I'd like to. Um, I thought Nyla Rose when she came into the company was green, but I saw real potential. I'm like, oh, she's a monster. You get her a little more comfortable with just in ring work in general. Send her on a couple tours in Japan. I think we could have something here. Well, the way she's been booked over the past year and a half, I, I'm i sick of her, and I want her to go away. Um, I I think I, this Vicky act with her is death. It just isn't doing either of them any good. Um, the, the Vicky still doing the excuse me thing, I was kind of excited for it at first because I thought that she could be a very entertaining kind of troll of the audience, and instead it's just been kind of dire. Um it hasn't worked at all. I think this build to this match is I would I would go one, and the only reason I'm not going lower is because of the constraints of the game. Like this is a anti build to me. Uh, I I just it has been atrocious. The the segment where um, they had the match of uh, Jade against uh, who was it that she was squashing? One of the baddies was it? Um, and Nyla and Vicky did that. We'll generously call it commentary on a live house mic. Uh, that was extremely bad. That was some sub WWE shit right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I like Nyla Rose. I think she has a lot of personality. I think they've really failed to let her show that personality. What she's doing right now with uh, the Vicky Act isn't working for that. Uh, the build for this has been awful. Um, Jade Jade has been made to look like kind of a goober. Um, yeah. which is rough when she's Jade Cargill <laughs> chiseled out of Greek marble. Yeah, and I, I don't blame Tony Khan for pushing her right away because look at oh, her. Oh, yeah, you've got to. I mean, she, she's, she's been a draw even on, on at least TV. She's so. been a draw. She's tremendous on the mic. She looks like a goddess. She like, looks like a superstar. Oh, like, my God. She, her physique is impeccable yeah, like, she's got the presence you know yeah. it's not just like she's jacked she's jacked and she acts like a star she carries herself like a star mm-hmm. she comes across like a star like um oh go ahead it's it's truly remarkable how much she has going for her and then she steps in the ring like i i don't like how she's being booked because one i understand you want to get her on tv all the time but why are you putting her in matches on tv with marina shafir you have to put her in matches with women who can work. Yeah, you don't and I know. Think that's, you don't. You don't know Marina Shafir. Yeah, I don't because she's a problem. And that is the problem. Yeah, it's. I love the idea of Jade Cargill. I love how she's used in talking segments. She's tremendous in pre-tape. She's good with the a live mic. 
but you also cannot trust her to have a more than five-minute match without something going completely awry unless the worker across from her is really, really good. And part of the problem with Tony is he doesn't like people to lose, and you've seen that yeah. with the women too. She hasn't gone against Hater. She hasn't gone against Baker. Like we're seeing her against the bottom of the barrel of this division, and it's showing in performances because it, you've gone from having this potential megastar, and there's still that potential because of everything that we talked about. That's just a net positive. And she's still over, I think. Yeah, she is still over. But when you continuously put her against women who are not great workers and they can't help elevate her work, you're making it so I don't want to see her as much. And I, I don't want to see this with Nyla Rose again. We've already seen it. It's not that good. No. What this match, the, the best possible outcome for this match is if it's six minutes long and they just drop bombs on each other. Kind of like the Athena match, only less sloppy, ideally. Yeah. Uh, like, it was maybe a big ask here. But. And, and the tough part you have with Tony Khan is you want to get this woman reps. You want yes, to get. You need to. But, but you don't have house shows. You don't have. You, you aren't sending her off to the Indies. You aren't sending her off to Japan. Like, if I was, if I was Tony Khan, I would have like a three week period every pay-per-view cycle at a minimum of three weeks and just send her off to Japan to work Tokyo Joshi pro or stardom or one of the smaller groups. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be marvelous. I, I assume marvelous is still running, uh, but like wave or any of these groups and just have them be like, listen, you can have her lose one big match, but she's got to, you've got to treat her like a serious superstar. And instead it's just been, she's been here and she's working like three minute squashes on Rampage doing the same shit. And if you want to be able to work a main event match, you've got to get practice in working a main event match. AEW has certain standards for entering matches. And if you aren't helping Jade Cargill accomplish that level of skill, you've got to do you've got to change how you're approaching this, in my opinion. Yeah, and we've talked um, about it quite frequently on, on this show. Yeah. I, I almost feel, and I want to run this by you, Fred. Sure. You don't want her losing. No. But I feel like holding this title right now, considering where the division is at, is really holding back any kind of development with her because of how you have to book these matches. And you feel like you have to have her de defending this title, and you're doing it against subpar opponents. Would it be better if they built some kind of multi-woman match and she lost the title without getting pinned because you would not ruin her undefeated streak. Yeah. And it would give, no, it would give it you an opportunity it. to do other things with her, but there's also the idea of she lost the title. And then some of that mystique is automatically gone, even though she didn't actually lose the match. Like there it's an interesting discussion. And that's why I wanted to, to sure, get your yeah. opinion on it. But I'm going to shit on the idea. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, no, I don't think that would work because I think as soon as you're like, as soon as you're pulling out the the excuse of, uh, well, she was in the match and she didn't win it, but she wasn't pinned. That's when you have a WWE winning, winning streak rather than a real one. That's when you get to the, like the WCW making up numbers for Goldberg thing. It, it part I think part of what's getting Jade over <laughs> is being undefeated. I think that has been a big part of why she's been able to get over. I think having the uh, TBS championship has been a solid excuse uh, 
slash way to get her on TV on a regular basis. So she hopefully does improve. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't, you know, I think we're getting close to the point where like you start looking at taking the belt off of her. Uh, and I mean, when it came to Willow Nightingale, uh, with their match a, a little bit ago where Willow Nightingale just felt like completely, uh, organically over enough to beat her. I think that was a point where like, I think you're looking at the end of the run. I think that with, with her, um, I, I would not rush the belt off of her uh, unless you have a specific plan for that. Because I think at this point, it's such a big deal when she does lose that it you have to treat it like a big deal. You can't just treat it like a banana slip thing. It has to be in a one-on-one big match. It can't be in like a, a four-woman or a six-woman or like some kind of wacky ladder match or some bullshit. Like it has to be a legit beater one-on-one of the ring. I do think they need to move up the quality of competition she's facing because she's a big enough star. And I know, you know, we've already have talked about on the show before about how Tony Khan does not like beating his stars, but to become a star, you've got to beat stars and to help solidify Jade Cargill as a star, she needs to start beating like some of these bigger female, you know, women stars on the roster. So I, I think that, you know, if Thunder Rosa comes back and, you know, drops the world title to storm and then goes on to, lose a few to Cargill, or if they go with, um, I mean, they've already done Soho, but, you know, uh, Tony Storm, after her title run, that could be beneficial, or Sheeta or Riho. Um, I think those would be very good for her. But I agree with you that, you know, they, we, we're at a point where we need to up the quality of competition for Jade and hopefully up her performances along with it. Yeah, it, it, I'm intrigued to kind of see how this thing goes um, with Jade because they need to do something, and they but they still need to keep utilizing her because she is a real draw. Yes, I fully agree. Uh, right, our what next, what match, we got next? We got the Ring of Honor World Championship four way match the uh, the circa 2010 uh, off show booking tribute. Uh, we've got Chris Jericho defending against Samuel Guevara, Brian Danielson, and Claudio Castanoli. One to ten. What's your thoughts on the build and how this will go? Uh, I don't know. This this is honestly anywhere from a three to an eight because I I don't really care that it's a multi-man match. I, I also think it's kind of dumb how they're doing it considering what Chris Jericho's gimmick is right now. You're, oh, you're talking about, hey, I'm going to defend it against um, Ring of Honor, uh, former Ring of Honor world champions. Okay. You've got Claudio, who you beat for the belt, but Claudio just beat you a couple weeks ago. Okay. His inclusion makes sense. Ryan Danielson, you have not had that that um, world title match with. Okay. Makes sense. Why the fuck is Sammy Guevara in here? That inclusion doesn't make any sense. This isn't a tag team match. This is a four-way for the Ring of Honor world title. I think that's just incredibly dumb to shoehorn him in here. Like, you could have had somebody else in this spot that's already been a Ring of Honor world champion. Hey, maybe you bring in somebody and you have him, like, be like a, like, just like Scott Norton joined Bullet Club at one of those uh, um, New Japan shows, the one in Chicago. Like, bring in somebody to be, like, an honorary member of the JAS. I think you could do that here. And I don't like how Guevara, considering the gimmick of the Ocho, is just 
being shoehorned in. I I don't like it. I'd rather this just be a one-on-one match. And it's not even a hate against multi-mans. I, I don't like Guevara being in here. I, I it, The connective tissue for me just isn't there. But it could also be a really, really good match. And it could continue this um, Blackpool Combat Club drama, which I think is going to. I, I think Jericho ends up pinning Brian Danielson or Claudio Castagnoli. And he does so because the other one does something to screw the other over. And it's going to continue that story arc. And maybe next week on Dynamite right before Thanksgiving, we see a turn. I think that's how it's going to play out. The match could be really, really good. I would love to see something crazy. And Danielson's just stupid enough to do it too. Where you have Danielson going for a flying headbutt. And then all of a sudden, um, Chris Jericho pops up and hits a Judas effect on him. Yeah. I or think a code breaker. I think a code breaker would work really well off that. Yeah, but how sick would a Judas effect look? Oh, it like would be. It like would that? be. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think the match will be good. I, I they could have done such a better job to get here, and I do think that they've slightly teased in the past week a couple times that maybe everything isn't great with Guevara and Jericho. I will say that isn't really super resonating with me, especially with the way that Daniel Garcia just kind of fell back in line. I think it would have been far more intriguing if Garcia was in the spot instead of Sammy. Um, And then we could have had like, you know, a kind of a possibility of teasing again that he's going to go out on his own or something. I can't believe we spent the entire year with, I mean, granted, I think part of it was the aftermath of CM Punk and all that bullshit at all out. But I really can't believe that we had the anarchy in the arena and then the um, blood and guts. And, and we're still doing JAS versus Blackpool. You know, like yeah. that's really kind of wild to me. That, that feels like very non-Tony Khan and that he finishes up a feud and it's done. And this is kind of the first feud, major feud of his that like felt like it finished and then just started back up again. Yeah, that feud should have been done right after blood and guts. And- that should have been it. And, and again, I, I, I cite All Out's aftermath as like a big part of why that changed. Um, but it just, it's gone on way, way too long at this point. And I'm kind of hoping that we soon end. Like, I love all the guys involved, even Jake Hager, Hat Enthusiast. Uh, but like, just the fact that we're still doing this, it, it feels like it's been going on for years at this point. Like, just way, way too long. Oh, absolutely. Um, just end it. Yeah. But please just, I will, I will so give, many, we, we've talked about how there's so many baby faces on this roster. You could have someone else feud with Jericho instead of one of these three guys, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, what do you got next? Because I, I don't want to yell about Sammy Guevara anymore. All right, cool. Uh, Jamie Hayter, Tony Storm, uh, interim women's championship. Eight, I want to see Jamie Hader win this belt. Now, it's not not a slide against Tony Storm, and I'm 90% sure I said it last week. I just think she's run her course for what this title reign is. And she's been tremendous. She's worked every week. She's wrestled a lot. She has done a lot to raise the prestige of this title, especially after the drama with Thunder Rosa. I think it, she's been an excellent asset, and she was the right choice to win this belt. I also think that this is Hater's time. This is where you give Hater a mega push. Give her the belt. 
get her into that feud finally with Britt Baker because all you have to do is Britt gets super jealous, Hater turns on her, becomes that huge babyface star that we we thought she could be all along, and yeah. then you can do like a three to six month program with these two, and I think it could be tremendous. I I think this could be a really good match. This could be the best match in company history for the women because I gave the St. Patrick's Day Slam the first one the lights out match between um, Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker four and three quarters. But that had an el- like a lot of elements that you're not going to see. It wasn't a, a traditional wrestling match. This could be the best traditional wrestling match in the history of this company for, on the women's side. And I, 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 set, I set the baseline at four and a quarter because I think these two are tremendous and they can go. And if it goes lower than that, I'll be honest, it's going to be a real disappointment for me. I think this could be great. Uh, I actually want to pitch the idea of it being a very bad day for the Britt Baker group with Baker losing to Soraya and then uh, also having uh, Hader lose to Tony Storm. Possibly I, I would pitch as a direct result of botched Baker interference. And that would set up the explosion of those two as a, as a, you know, as a pairing. And then a feud between the two, possibly with one of them picking up the belt along the way. Uh, I think that could work really well. But I do think we're going to be heading straight to a hater-baker feud in the near future. Yeah, and that's one I'm very excited for. They have done a phenomenal job planting seeds. Some of them a a little more obvious than others. But there is so much tissue that is going to connect these two women for a long time. And I am... I'm very, very intrigued to see how it plays out. Uh, probably more intrigued than how any other potential storyline could at this moment in, in AEW. Yeah. Uh, next up is Acclaim versus Swerve in Our Glory 3. I'm less intrigued in the match, and I'm more intrigued in how in the story of this match. So I'm going to give it a 6. Okay. I think the match can be good, but I... I I get this is kind of the Gato thing, right? Where you just beat a match into the ground and then you're you're gonna go away from it. And I think the idea of beating this match into the ground is you're gonna get a turn. Yes. And it's probably gonna come from Swerve Strickland. It could come from Keith Lee, especially after that segment in Baltimore where uh Rick Ross was there and it was just kind of like, hey, you know, Keith Lee was just pissed. Like, yeah. They're gonna split up, and how they split up is gonna be very intriguing to me because I think Swerve could be a tremendous top-line heel. Oh, yes. Um, yes, he could I be think, a world title-level guy, I think. Yeah, I think Keith Lee could be too, but I think the fans have so much of a connection to Keith Lee right now, I think it might be a mistake to turn him. I agree. I want to see what happens with this post-match. I think Swerve in Our Glory wins, and I, I mentioned it uh, the other day because they had the stare-down with FTR in the ring, and I hated it because I thought mm-hmm. it gave away this match. And even though your counterpoint to me was, oh, this match was probably not even in doubt. Sure. But you want to keep that, like, yeah. you want to keep that doubt in your head so then you can really enjoy the match. Like, I, I think, I just want to see what happens and how they're going to get to this, mm-hmm. this turn by Swerve in Our Glory. And I think a, uh, a true like program with FTR could be exactly what the acclaim needs to really separate. Hey, is this going to be like, Oh, this is just 
fun and you're just going to get like these huge pops because, oh, we're just having a good time, but it's going to die out. Mm -hmm. Or is this for real? And they are going to be true megastars. And a program with a great team like FTR who are over is absolute hell. Yeah. That's going to, I think that'll really determine the long-term success of the acclaimed because I don't think the long-term success is scissor me daddy ass, but they are incredibly charismatic. They're improving in ring. And this is, this is Tony Khan's baby. He put these guys together and he's done a great job. And I will never forget being in the building at all out and the fans just begging Yes, begging for the acclaim to win. That was the loudest I've ever heard a crowd. I've been to football games. I've been like hockey games in Minnesota are unlike any other sporting event because you have 20,000 people that are just drunk on hockey. Like that was the loudest in like in building experience I've ever heard. People wanting the acclaimed that bad. Yeah, and, and even the uh, Fallout Grand Slam match, uh, I don't think the crowd was as hot, but it was still very hot for well, the acclaimed winning and a I huge reaction for now, it. Now, uh, I'll say this, Fred. AEW has a problem with how they mic their buildings. They don't yes. do a very good job of it, and it was incredibly evident last week because I remember we were talking in the Slack during the match, and like the I remember seeing Mudo come out, and I asked him, like, how was the crowd? Because on TV, it seemed like it was awful. flat. Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, the crowd went absolutely bonkers. Yeah. And I think that's part of the issue where there was a disconnect with the Grand Slam match because they said the acclaimed were just over like absolute bananas. And yeah. the fact that it's an open air building, even though it's like it's not a traditional open air stadium like you see with like baseball stadiums, football stadiums. It's kind of like half where it's it's got a little covering, but there's it's still got that section in the middle it's open so i think that played into it too but these guys are still bonkers over yeah uh i i think that this will be i think this will be a very good match i don't think it'll be great i think i've seen them work like at the four star level not the four and a half star level if that makes any sense which is kind of picking nits but well what the hell um I think what they've got to do, they've got to have the acclaimed win, and I think they have to have Swerve in our glory break up here uh, or on the subsequent Dynamite. Uh, I think that have... I, I, I actually think it'd be a misstep to have Swerve in our glory win because it feels like they've been building closer to them breaking up than just like little hints that something will happen down the road. Like I think yeah. we're actually approaching the end of this story. And I you, think that, you never know with Tony Khan because he no, likes true. these long drawn he out does. stories he can try to go another year i think it'd be a mistake i think you might be able to drag it out till revolution but even then i think is pushing it maybe winter is coming uh, is uh, probably maybe, the go. maybe but I, I i think it hurt the acclaim to take the belts off them right now i don't think that they're so established that like they'd be able to withstand the loss and i think if they fine. lost if they lost to ftr i think they would be fine yes because it's it's ftr they're one of the two or three most established tag teams in this company, uh, along with like Lucha brothers and the young bucks. They're one of the few acts that feels as hot as the acclaimed. Mm-hmm. Too, so yeah, like, honestly, that's a tag team match that could headline revolution and yes. not headline with uh, the um, AW world championship. Cause when they founded this company, one of the things that the young bucks kept saying 
was that this is going to be a tag team promotion. We are going to focus on tag teams. And the idea of having a tag team title match headline the show, and it's something that they already did in Ring of Honor. So Tony Khan has already shown the willingness to book the tag teams in that main event slot. We could finally see it. Yes. Yeah. And the last announced match uh, for this card, and we'll go over a couple that like seem likely to happen after this, but the main event is going to be MJF versus John Moxley. Oh, Tyler. give me a give me a ten, give me a ten, I, ten, 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 ten. I probably go John nine, Spears. but yes, yes, ten. <laughs> I I think this is. I mean, MJF has been killing it wonderfully. Uh, it feels a little short of just like the hottest AEW storyline so far, but it is damn close. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know what we could say that we haven't already said. Uh, Moxley's been a savior to this company multiple times this year. Um, and also MJF has like hit a new level when I already thought he was at a superstar level. I feel like he's mm-hmm. even gone beyond that. Uh, it, there, there's going to be a lot of pressure on MJF to deliver in the ring. Uh, I think we're well past the is MJF a good worker argument because he's proven several times that he can have great matches. But yeah, I think that it'll uh, be very, very interesting. Um, and I think this is a great main event for this show that it feels like it's it's much hotter than the Punk Moxley uh, main event of All Out, even ignoring all the bullshit that happened afterwards. Yeah, this is this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, what what really intrigues me here, Fred, is what is, what is this story going to be? That's a good question. Is it going to be MJF finally becoming a babyface, uh, which feels like it's probably too soon chronologically, but in terms of fan reaction, feels like it's the right time. Or is it going to be MJF? Uh, revealing himself to still be a prick and that all this stuff with a firm was a lie and that he is just, you know, the devil incarnate as he keeps liking, you know, he's the, he's the snake. He's the bad guy, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. What do you yeah. think? What, what do you think is the route they're going to take? That's a great question. Um, I would guess that if they're going to, to take any route that it's going to be, uh, I th- I, th- I think Tony Khan's going to put it on MJF. And if you would have asked, right time. if you would have asked me pre all out or sorry, pre CM Punk con- press conference, I would probably have gone against MJF winning. Um, but you can see that the slow, slow build that Tony Khan wanted really disintegrated in his fingertips just because of, everything that happened with that press conference with brawl out and having to take the belt off CM Punk, who he was planning on holding that thing for a while. And he talked about it, that he wanted punk to hold onto it. And I think they would have had MJF would have had that chip for upwards of a year. And I think he would have probably cashed it in at all out. Yeah. That, that would be my guess because MJF talked about how he wanted to hand CM Punk the most embarrassing loss of his career and what better place to do it than Chicago? Like, if you were to move it from the Now Arena and put it in United Center, Punk versus MJF probably sells that building out in 10 minutes. Probably, yeah, I think so. Like, this would be a fascinating match to talk about, but we're never going to get it because of what happened at Brawl Out. 
And because of that, they had to really speed everything up with MJF. And I don't, I think like you just had to modify so much that I, I don't think Tony Khan has much of a choice with how he's booked this product. I think MJF has to win. Now, the counter argument, you can still have an MJF loss with how they built it. Yes. And it would still make sense. And maybe there's a, like, obviously, he's talked about, hey, I want to do this the right way. I want to beat you at 110%. Well, maybe the story is you beat him, you went at him at 110%, and you fought clean, and you lost. And now you realize, oh, I ha- still have to be that scumbag because I'm just not quite good enough. And then you can build off of that. So there are multiple ways to go, but I think I think he's going to win. I think he will too. There, uh, Lanza had a very good argument a few weeks ago in the flagship that he should not win, that it should be a character flaw of MJF that he always overpromises and underdelivers on the big spot until he kind of has a sh- shift of some sort of character and you know, like something changes where he is able to win the belt. I think the problem with that is. MJF is too hot right now to not put the belt on him. I think that the crowd would possibly reject a Moxley win, uh, just considering how hot MJF has been with his company over the past two months. Uh, mm-hmm. He's gone from just being like a overstar to possibly the biggest star they have in the company right now. Um, and I would have put him above CM Punk because they ended that show with CM Punk standing tall in Chicago holding the championship belt up and there were MJF chants, which is astonishing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'll be very interesting to watch. I'm, I think MJF should win. I think you can have him not win. But, well, you know, it'll be interesting for sure. Uh, now, there are a couple of speculative matches because they will add matches to this. That's just the Tony Conway, um, even though nine matches would probably be a perfectly good size for the night. Uh, let's assume that they do a hork, a hork, a hook and Lee Moriarty match for the buy in, presumably. Tyler, one to ten. What do you think about that? Seven. I think that could be really good. It Moriarty, could be good. Moriarty can work. Hook has shown flashes of being able to work really well and obviously they have done a great job of protecting him he's been in this company almost two years now and he's he's really only had a handful of actual matches not squashes matches competitive matches yeah yeah i think this could be a competitive match and moriarty i think is a worker who if he loses it's not a big deal because he hasn't gotten the rocket yet and but he's also in that position being a good enough worker to be able to one carry a match if Hook starts to struggle, and he can still lose. I think this is the perfect st- like matchup as far as a booking perspective. I also think it's good because Moriarty can grapple, and that's kind of Hook's forte right now. He's doing a lot of the judo stuff, the submissions, and I think that the dichotomy of this match could be really, really good. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I like Lee a lot. I think he has the potential to be like a top 50 worker in the world. Um, he He's very athletic. He can grapple. He does the he does technical wrestling in a very interesting way, I think, uh, which it will help him on TV because I feel like traditional, like old school technical wrestling as a main work style would not cut it in the U.S. on TV these days. So you have to be almost like a Zack Sabre Jr., 
who who does he was very obviously very technically oriented but does it in such a way that it's engaging mm-hmm. uh with a modern fan uh but yeah i i would think this could be a very good match i don't know that it gets more than 10 minutes in fact i would probably guess seven to eight uh but it could still like be like a very solid like three and a half star three and three quarter star match with that amount of time i think yeah. Uh, next one is Samojo versus Wardlow plus minus Powerhouse Hobbs. I imagine plus. Um, but you know, uh, what do you think about how this has been built and where it's going to head? I look. I, I love the idea of Joe turning on Wardlow. I think that feud could be really fun. When they got paired together, I didn't think it was long for the tooth, anyways. So like, I, I really didn't have an issue. The second. Like they they teased the tension the prior week and then last week obviously Wardlow said he's he's gonna um, take every title and that is what what caused Samoa Joe to attack him. I thought that was really well done. I don't like the fact that it's gonna be three way because I think Hobbs versus Wardlow could be excellent. The Spinebuster versus the Powerbomb, like th- like just give me beefy dudes beating each other up and you're still gonna have that because Samoa Joe is yeah. one of those kind of guys too. I wonder how much of this is going to be to protect Wardlow or protect like somebody's getting protected here. And that's the reason why Samoa Joe's in this match. Are we protecting Wardlow that, and because they're, they don't necessarily trust him going one-on-one with Hobbs in a long match. Are they protecting Hobbs from losing? Because if you pin Samoa Joe, is it a big deal? Like there is, there's so much intrigue to how this match plays out from a booking standpoint. And I think it'll be good. And it, at the very least, even if it's not a traditionally great match, it'll be fun because it's just going to be beefy dudes doing beefy things. Yeah, this could. I could. I think this could be a very good match. Um, you know, and, and this could actually be a good time to use the the triple threat or three way or whatever uh, format because you could just have two guys wailing on each other. The one takes a bump out of the ring, and then the third guy comes in. And I think Samoa Joe. Um, you know, would benefit from, you know, that, because I, I do think his biggest weakness, I mean, granted, considering his age and everything and his size, it's not a surprise. Uh, I think his biggest weakness as a worker these days is a stamina. Mm-hmm. I think it does kind of show sometimes that he gets a little more tired faster than he definitely did back in the 60-minute uh, CM Punk days of yore. Uh, but I still think this could be very fun, and I'm looking forward to this pretty well. Yeah, and at the very least, it's going to be entertaining, and it's going to yeah. be... It, it it will be a fun match. I just like maybe that we get a a singles match for winner is coming between Wardlow versus either one of these guys. But I'm I'm I am disappointed that they ended up making it a three way at the last second because well, it was built very well. Assumedly, but you know not nothing official yet. Probably announced on Dynamite. Yeah. Uh, another speculative match is FTR versus the Gun Club. I I love this for the Gun Club. I. I, I'm indifferent. I I don't have to see it, but I think you're getting FTR on TV, which is an objectively good thing, or on the pay per view. And the Gun Club needs reps like this. They need opportunities to, excuse me, work with better teams. They need opportunities to continue to work and grow and develop. The Gun Club could be a very good act in a couple of years, but they need to. They need something to do to keep their growth and development high. And I think working with teams like FTR, especially with FTR not having a true program in AEW at the moment because they're waiting for the acclaimed, I think this is a great use of both teams. So yeah. from, 
from a booking standpoint, I give this a nine because I think Tony Khan did a great job of identifying, hey, especially after that promo at Royal Quest where FTR is like, book us, Tony Khan. Like, yeah. just kind of shoving in his face. And you really are trying to push the firm as this top heel act. Well, you have to get them involved in, in program matches. And that's what this is with the gun club. Look, the gun club are going to lose. But yes. if they acquit themselves well, that's going to be more important than if they win or lose the match. And I think they have an opportunity to really show something this weekend. I think so, too. This will be a big uh, opportunity for the gun club to show off that they have improved. They, they've long seemed like uh, prospects that could become something in AEW. It's, uh, like, I'm not going to say this is like a career-defining night or anything, but it will be a nice feather in their cap if they can go out there and have a very good match with FTR, considering how hot FTR has been this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last thing uh, that could possibly happen on the show uh, that I could think of is the return of the elite, possibly against Death Triangle in a uh, in a six man tag for those belts. I personally, if I had to guess, I would assume this is actually a program that comes out of the pay per view rather than leading to a match on it. But we'll see. Yeah, I'm kind of with you there. I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure. How I feel. It, feel it would feel really rushed to be like, oh, we're back and we have a match on Saturday and we're taking those belts. Because mm-hmm. I think they have to win when they come back. But regardless. Yeah, it look, it I think it could be really, really good. Um I'm I'm fascinated to see how this ends up playing out. But they've done we'll good see. pieces. It'll be interesting to see how they deliver it. Yeah. Because, uh, granted, it was back early in the company, but there have been uh, the the young, the initial young, the young bucks have had a couple of crappy storylines. Um, most relevant I can think of is that first storyline with FTR. I thought was a real underachiever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hopefully, they have a good direction for this. Yeah, look, they they're. They're obviously teasing that the the elite are coming back. But they're also teasing that they're not coming back as the elite. And to me, that's the most fascinating part. I want to see how they reintroduce these guys. Yeah. Are they being reintroduced as a as the elite? Are they being reintroduced to something else? Because we talked about the young the bucks, wayward um, sons, the wayward sons. Yeah. Like I really hope that the, that they come out and all of a sudden, because like, not every AEW fan is going to know the the wayward sons thing, because not everybody's super online. Not like some people just want to turn the program on, on Wednesdays, turn the pay-per-view on, on Saturday or Sunday night. And that's the extent they get from their wrestling. And that's totally fine. And I think having like paying Kansas for carry on my wayward son, just I could hit the intro for that. And then uh, have the, the elite music play, I think would be a tremendous like way to reintroduce them if they're going to go with that route, but their growth and development, obviously this was not the plan, but sometimes out of the worst circumstances can come your best ideas and having some kind of like redemption arc for the elite, considering this whole thing, I think would be a really cool uh, way to utilize this to your advantage. Yeah, I think so too. I think that, um, I, I totally could see Tony Khan spending the money on Wayward Son one time, kind of like he did with Sympathy for the Devil for MJF uh, just the one night. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it would be 
it'll be great if the when the elite finally come back. I can't even say if at this point because it's pretty much a certainty. But mm-hmm. it's uh it's gonna happen soon. Uh so that's a good hour of the show, hour ten. Uh I've not I, I suggest we go through the news real quick and if you have any specific thoughts from Dynamite and Rampage, we can go through those and then uh we can wrap it up. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds great to me. Cool. Because uh, I definitely think the biggest thing is the, other than Junior Akiyama, of course, is the uh, upcoming pay-per-view. Uh, so, uh, big, uh, not so much a lot of big news, several small stories. Uh, Abaddon broke her collarbone reportedly, or there's some speculation. It's very confusing at this point. Uh, broke her collarbone on an indie show this past weekend. If true, that will probably keep her out for two to three months, give or take. Uh, that's a shitty injury. <laughs> that's not fun at all. Um, we no, got the rate. No, nah, it's uh, and, and hopefully you know because that, that became a recurring entry for Randy Orton. Uh, it was the collarbone. I think he's broken his several times. So hopefully mm-hmm. that's not the case for Abaddon. Yeah, I hope not. And there were rumors that she was going to be signing. I think with WWE. So yeah, ooh, uh, that's terrible timing if that's the case. Um, hopefully she already inked that deal. Hopefully, uh, I'm 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 completely unsure of her contract status at all. So. I, you know, I guess we'll see. Uh, ratings: Dynamite was uh, nine hundred thirty thousand overall, with a point three two in the eighteen forty nine. Uh, they were the number six cable original for the night, which put them behind two NBA games and three Fox News shows. Of course, that was the day after the uh, midterm elections here in the United States, which was mm-hmm. a huge, uh, particularly this year, felt like a huge uh, news story. And uh, and we still have elections going on. That's why the ratings were as good as they they were. We still have multiple Senate and House seats that have not been called yet. Yeah, uh, that's what happens when uh, people pass laws to limit the voting, the count, the counting of votes. And then uh, they act surprised that it takes over a week to count the votes, especially in a close race. Um, But yeah, I, I think that was a solid number for them. Uh, You know, the 930 is a bit disappointing, but. I, again, this is not a panic number at all. This is actually, I think, a pretty solid number for AEW. I think they stayed pretty much consistent with the key demo. And, uh, yeah, nothing wrong with that number, in my opinion. Rampage uh, was hit, uh, had 456,000 viewers on the night with a .11 in the key demo, uh, which I think was roughly equivalent to uh, maybe down a .01 from the last week which I think is good, but they were also 55th overall on the night, which uh, not so good. It, it's so hard with with Rampage when you're comparing them with a lot of these other programs because they're not they're at the very end of prime time, and Friday yeah. night at 10 Eastern? That's, that's not a good night. I mean, that's not a good slot. But No, and you know what? I don't think TNT really cares that much about that because a lot of these Rampages are taped. They're starting to do more live ones. And I think that number is going to significantly improve when you have a relatively healthy top end of the roster for the yeah. first time in what feels like forever because the elite aren't there. Adam Cole's not there. And because you don't have a lot of these guys, you have to use more talent on Dynamite. And therefore, Rampage suffers a little bit. I think Rampage is going to be a closer to an A show because right now it's a C show. They are just not putting anything really worth. Going I would out say of the, the past for. couple of weeks, the past couple of weeks, they've definitely tried to put more stars on it with, you know, mainly in short promos, but they've had two high, fairly high profile Orange Cassidy matches, uh, who is uh, kind of like a second tier star for the company. Yeah. Um, 
they've been doing better than they had previously, I'll say. I'm not going to say Orange Cassidy versus Lee Johnson's put in asses in seats, but um, that was like the second biggest match on the show. Uh, I am blanking out on the first one right now, but it was the opener. Um, Well, there was even an opener this week. There was uh, the the angle, the promo that they started with to set up Christian and... uh, or Jungle Boy and uh, Luchasaurus. So yeah. I'm just going to keep laughing and like completely forgetting what happened a week ago. Uh, <laughs> um, WrestleNomics, uh, this, I got this straight from the Observer because I, I just don't have enough time each week to listen to WrestleNomics. I wish I did, and I should probably rearrange my schedule. Uh, they apparently quoted a longtime uh, Warner Media employee who said they would be shocked if AEW didn't get a renewal and a significant increase in their right fees, which... Seems right. Uh, I don't think they're going to go anywhere. Uh, I do think that they will get pitched a solid chunk of change. I think as cheap as Warner Media has kind of proven to be with various little things they've done, they at least seem to have the cognizance that they shouldn't cheap out on their big flagship uh, programming, and that AEW is one of those. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it, it. I would be incredibly surprised if AEW does not get offered a significant raise. But I think we have to keep open the idea that AEW does not stick with Time Warner because somebody else swoops in and offers them even more money. Yes. The the key it thing does I think sound, for them. I was going to okay. say, it does sound, however, that Tony Khan likes working with Time Warner. and well, like Warner Brothers Discovery, excuse me, it's not Time Warner anymore. But that relationship seems to be very solid. And I think that's important to note. Yes. Uh, I think that they definitely have a good partner there. I would be shocked if they left, but there is a possibility that they'll get more money from someone. Uh, Ideally, the big thing for them that that matters to us as fans is if they get more money, then they can spend more money on bringing in stars. And that's what, and Mm -hmm. keeping stars. Uh, So that's, that's the truly important thing here. I, I, you know, I don't really have any interest in like cheerleading billionaire Tony Khan into getting even more money because he's already got a lot of money. Uh, but as far as like increasing the budget of AEW, that would be good for me as the consumer. Uh, AEW did announce that they are going to go to the UK in 2023, which uh, I think it will be a great move for them. I think that could be like possibly the biggest show of the year for them in terms of gate. Because uh, they're doing quite well over there with uh, television ratings. And I think we've seen already that uh UK fans love it when a big American promotion heads over there. They will come out in droves for it. Yeah. Uh, Fight Forever. This was the dumbest story of the week. Uh, Fight (laughs) Forever. Based off of a single tweet from, like, not even citing anything, uh, a tweet came out that said that it's definitely going to be released day one on Xbox Live. And then uh, AEW had to come out and say, no, that's not happening. Um, also, it, it wasn't Xbox Live. It was Game Pass. Game Pass. That's right. I I'm old and forget things, and just, I'm going to go play Pac-Man on my Atari after this. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa! Everybody should go play Pac-Man on their Atari right now. No, not the Atari version. The Atari version was legendarily bad. Um, <laughs> in fact, I remember the first video game I remember playing, which granted I was like three at the time, was ET on the Atari. That's not even a joke. We that's. I, I was just mystified by it. I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm supposed to be doing. Fred, that kicks so much ass. The first game I remember playing was either Super Mario Brothers, the original on NES, or Tecmo Super Bowl. Nice. Both of them were my jam. 
nice. loved them. Better games than E.T. on Atari. Um, not hard to do. No, not hard to do. Um, anyways, yeah, this was just a very silly, like it even became a story is kind of appalling that it was based off absolutely nothing. And everyone was like, oh, it's definitely happening. And like AW's game division had to be like, no, it's not. Uh, that's that's wrong. Um, I just found this fantastic sentence in the Observer while going through it this week. Quote, love my Dave Meltzer weird, weird shit. All I know is that I listened to some guy with a horse head costume singing All-Star and Mass Singer, and it sounded to me like Chris Jericho. Oh, it was absolutely so, Chris Jericho. I haven't even out. seen the clip, and like, I'm, I'm not going to go out of my way because I, I don't care about the show at all. But it, it just, that was extremely, uh, that's pure uncut Dave right there, and I love that stuff. Uh, Chris Jericho, speaking of, has talked about making a movie based on his Painmaker character. Um, oh, boy. Uh, what a time to be alive. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts on Painmaker, colon, the film, colon, the experience, Tyler Fornitz? Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> um, no, not really. I can't believe that you don't have a strong take on this. Uh, last three things. Very quick stories. AEW is filming their reality show backstage. Uh, the Bunny was gone the past few weeks uh, due to filming a Lifetime movie entitled Bad Tenant. So I think we can definitely look forward to her in a bad to mediocre mover, movie making her uh, crazed faces. And then Samuel Guevara again was announcing the Floyd Mayweather boxing pay-per-view. Uh, and I think they want him to fight on one of those shows, so that'll be interesting to see if that happens. Um, that's the news. Uh, any thoughts on Dynamite or Rampage from this past week? No, I, I thought they were they were good shows. Um, we've definitely seen better, but I th- I thought they were they were fine, and I'm excited to see how they continue to build up this pay per view at the end. Yeah, I, I don't know that I have anything that I thought was great but i thought both were good shows i'm scrolling through my match ratings just to see if i come across anything that sticks out and i'm not sure that uh yeah i don't even have like a four star match off those shows so several like below that but you know solid shows uh okay so uh big dynamite this week uh just all the announced stuff we have for it is uh Jericho and Guevara, Los Ex Gods, teaming up against Claudio and Brian Danielson. We've got Death Triangle in trio's action against Top Flight, which does re- mean the returning Dar- Darius Martin or Darius Martin and AR Fox, which should be a very good match that gets any time whatsoever. We have Bandito versus Ethan Page in one of the Eliminator Tournament uh, semifinals. We have Anthony Bowens against Swerve Strickland in singles action. And we also have the debut of the Acclaim's music video, A Hand for a Hand, which should be interesting. And uh, Tony Storm versus the returning Bunny. And then interviews from Samoa Joe, John Moxley, MJF, Britt Baker, and Soraya. So that'll be a very big show. Oh, I think it will be a big show. And I'm, I'm excited to see... Um to continue uh, how this sorry i am having massive word vomit how it continues to develop and progress towards the pay-per-view um i want to see soraya work a little bit i think that that is going to be the most fascinating thing yeah it'll be really really interesting to see what happens in that match um so fingers crossed for something good i think that's it 
Um, I do want to ask you real quick. I still have not watched the Minnesota Vikings game from this past week, which is apparently entering like legendary status as an all-time game. What happened? Because I know it went to OT and that the Vikings somehow stole victory. But other than that. Yeah. Um, listen, game of the year. It was a tremendous football game. Uh, this Vikings team is weird. And I have been, uh, for those of you that don't know, I am the managing editor of USA Today's Vikings Wire. So I cover the Vikings 24-7. And this Vikings team is very weird. They don't show up in the third quarter. They have only outscored their opponent twice. They have a um, point differential in the third quarter of like minus 35. Uh, Yeah, it's not good. Not Um, good. I just made a a big eyes, not happy face. But in the fourth quarter, they're like at a plus 45. They turn it on at the end. And it's something that Kirk Cousins has not been able to do with any form of consistency. And I'm very fascinated to see how this team continues to develop because they were down 17 going into the fourth quarter. And they tied the game. Sorry, they took the lead, and then it went into overtime, and then they won in overtime. But it was a very fluky game. The last drive of the game for the Vikings, fourth and goal from the inch line, Kirk Cousins is unable to get in with the quarterback's knee. Okay? The next play, Josh Allen, the quarterback for the Bills, had not played under center all game because he has a UCL injury, and that can affect the grip on the football. That UCL is the Tommy John. Um, and guess what? He botches the center exchange and the Vikings recover a fumble to get the go ahead touchdown. Like you, you can't make this up. And then the bills drive down and get a field goal to tie it. The Vikings get a field goal on the first drive of overtime. And then they intercept Josh Allen in the end zone for the second time, win the game. Look, it was a tremendous football game, game of the year. It's got a catch from Justin Jefferson. That's going, you're going to see it literally 10,000 times until the day you die. Fourth and 18, he skies up. It's in the defender's hands. He goes right in the middle of them, snags it with one hand. Just incredible, incredible awesome. stuff. Awesome. Um, yeah, absolutely tremendous. Um, like, it just, no, great stuff. I hopefully will get to watch it sometime this week. Yes, you are going to want to. Um, you had, uh, NFL Plus get the seven day free trial if you don't want to watch the entire game. Yeah, like they have the condensed version, which will be about forty forty five minutes. I would recommend doing doing the normal broadcast because it's just it's just different. Yeah, yeah. Um, cool. Like, well, hell, yeah. I'm yeah. glad to hear that the Vikings actually did something good in crunch time for once. Oh, they, <laughs> they've been doing it all year in crunch time. Yeah. As a as a fan of the Vikings since '97, that is a uh, or '98, I guess it would have been um, when they drafted Randy Moss. Um, yeah, uh, good crunch time stuff would be kind of shocking for them. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I think that's our show for the week. Um, if you want to connect with us, you can join us on Twitter until it becomes a completely desiccated husk. <laughs> Uh, we are at good bad hungy. That's H U N G E E. You can email us at hungypod at gmail.com. H U N G E E. Please subscribe, rate, and review at this podcast. Tell your friends that we are uh, good at talks. And uh, actually, before we go, we have two very important questions from uh, one from Griffin, 
who I can only assume was trying to be helpful, which uh, with a, how much wood could a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Uh, and I think the answer to that question is, you know, it depends on if the woodchuck is a uh, work rate guy or if he's more like a tyrus. Uh, if he's a tyrus, then not very much. He'd probably just kind of stumble over. Uh, Would he appear on Fox News? But but or you would have the to strap up. Singer. You'd have to you'd have to strap up him if he was on Fox News, so you could get those casual fans to watch your not on TV TV show. Uh, and the other question was, who is your favorite Chuck? Chuck Taylor, Chuck Norris, or Chucky from Rugrats? Chucky. Uh, Chucky no. rules. Bad bad answer. Uh, Chuck Norris is third. He's overrated. He's got he's got action genes. That's like the only good thing about him. He basically invented jeggings. Um. Or had someone invent jeggings for him. Uh, two is Chucky. Chucky was cool, but like also very uh, non-action oriented, which I can't go for. Number one is the Kentucky Gentleman, Chuck Taylor. I mean, you've got to give that to him uh, for nothing else other than the years old footage of him scaring children and then being scared himself. Uh, yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> that's the show this week. Tyler, you got anything you want to plug before we go? Go Vikings. Go Vikings. Viking Cruises. That's my PBS reference for the week. Y'all get out of here. Have a good week. Enjoy the pay-per-view. We'll be back with you next week to break it all down. Hey, everybody. My name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media. We talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture. And we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks.